Isaiah wrote centuries before Christ came. And some of what he wrote uh, was about the current affairs of his day and what would happen immediately after. But he was also challenging the people of God because they were turning away from the Lord their God. And nothing the Lord said would bring them back to him. They were going to suffer. Suffer greatly. And yet, instead of writing them off, as, as we would probably have done, the Lord promised that another what he called Israel would come. They, they, they had failed in their mission. They had, they had turned their back on him. But his servant, his servant would come, another servant. Not the nation this time, but a person. The Christ himself. He would come, he would rescue them. He would lead them in good and godly ways. He would rescue them even from sin and from death, as, as he wrote in chapter 53, he has borne our sins. What good news. What good news. It's not surprising then, when we think of the work of our Lord Jesus, the tremendous victory of his cross and resurrection, and the growth of his kingdom, it's no wonder that the Lord called all heaven and earth to rejoice. Sing for joy, O heavens. Exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion and is afflicted. Gospel of our Lord Jesus is the best news. It's not words. It's power. The kingdom of God doesn't consist in food and drink, but in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's real. It's real. And when one person, even just one, turns to the Lord, there is joy in heaven. No wonder he says rejoice. And then comes the cold douche. But Zion said... The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. You wouldn't believe it. What do you do with people like that? And yet, we only think about it for a moment and we realize that that might be uncomfortably near the bone uh, as far as we're concerned. There have quite possibly been times in our own lives when the good news of Christ has come to us and we have said yes but and refused to take it. How unreasonable. And we might wash our hands of unreasonable people and they might wash their hands of us but God never does. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even these may forget, 
yet. And here's our text for this morning. Yet I will not forget you. So what have we here? Two things. We have a human complaint and we have God's comfort. The comfort is the most important thing. But it's also important that we would think about this complaint. Uh, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. It's important because it may be that some people do feel like that or have in the past or might in the future. And it's important because it does help us to understand our brothers and sisters in Christ when they feel like that. So we're going to think about this human complaint first. The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Two painful thoughts here. The Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, he who is the Almighty has forsaken me, they are saying. So what help could I possibly have if he's forsaken me? And the second thought, my Lord has forgotten me. I thought I had a special relationship with him. What has gone wrong? These are the two very painful thoughts being expressed here. When we look at the history of the people and what Isaiah was referring to, on one level it's very understandable. They were experiencing war, ethnic cleansing. Why? Why had God not prevented it? Why had he not immediately rescued them? And then another thought would come in. Well, we did tell our God to go away, didn't we? We chose to worship idols. We didn't want his ways. So why would he take an interest in us now anyway? <sighs> and that thought is so awful. And we recognize it. It is Satan's work to tempt a person to do wrong. Oh, go on, it doesn't matter. And then when they've done it, he'll come and say, boy, you've really blown it now, haven't you? There's not a hope for you. Tempting them to despair. That's what we're seeing here. The liar that he is. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The Son of God was revealed that he might destroy the works of the devil. Well, that referred to a particular historical era, but we remember God's work is in the long term. We begin to see patterns appearing. History repeats itself. And Promises he gave to people yesterday may very well apply to us if we are going through similar circumstances today. And that's what we have here. Yet I will not forget you, applies to his people today, to all who are looking to him, just as much as it did in Isaiah's day. An old writer produced a sermon and 
part of the title was A Child of Light Walking in Darkness. It's an unusual expression, but it comes from chapter 50 of this book. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. These people were walking in darkness, and yet in a sense they were the children of light. God was promising such wonderful things to them. Are we today looking to the Lord Jesus? Do we get confused? Do we find ourselves in difficulty at times? There is such a thing as a child of light walking in darkness. And that's the sort of person our text is for especially. Here are four examples of the sort of things that can lead a person to say, he has forgotten me. Disappointments. We probably had expectations of the Christian life. <clears throat> Maybe we had a wonderful experience at the start of it. Some do, some don't. If so, we probably assumed it would continue, but it didn't. We expected to overcome sin, but we have to confess with the writer of Psalm 65, iniquities prevail against me. Maybe we expected great success in our Christian service. Maybe we're seeing little, if anything, for our efforts at the moment. Trouble comes. We should remember what the Apostle John said about believers in Jesus. He, he speaks of them as young men, fathers, and children. There are different stages of Christian experience. We should not be surprised if things we expected have not come yet. We shouldn't be surprised if things take us by surprise. That's true in life, and it's true in a spiritual life. But especially, we should recognize what he says there in verse 15. I will not forget you. Disappointments. Spiritual confusion is a, a, another cause of this. Confusion's hard to describe because it's confused. But there may be a time when a person's faith wobbles. Asaph, writing Psalm 73, the wicked are getting off scot-free and, and I wake up in pain every morning. And he's tempted to think, what's the point? It's a wonderful psalm, but you've got to read it right to the end because it's got a wonderful end. Maybe it's the sins of the saints. We expected better and they give us pain and we're tempted, that word again, tempted to wonder what we really do have a right to expect. Maybe it's the silence of heaven. Well, we're in good company. If so, remember what Job said, Oh, that I knew where I might find him. I go forward, he's not there. Backwards, I do not perceive him. Remember what Job adds, though. He knows. He knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Yes, <clears throat> Job would have said amen to our text. I will not forget you. 
disappointment, spiritual confusion, fear, fear of sin getting the better of us, the classic fear not getting to heaven. Remember, <clears throat> I will not forget you. Sense of guilt, another one. That can feel like the superbug that no antibiotic can kill, as if it's Satan's answer to everything. The father of lies that he is. First Timothy 1, the sayings trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom, wrote Paul, I am the foremost. Guilt, the Savior, Psalm 34, none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Remember verse 15, I will not forget you. Now, before we go on to look at this comfort that he's giving here, two things need to be said about ourselves and, and, and about God. <clears throat> we, we already have the evidence that God is faithful. We already have evidence of that in our own experience, don't we? We called on him, he, he rescued us. And he's kept his word to other people. And even if we question our experience, Theirs is quite clear. He kept his promise to give a savior. The savior did what was prophesied of him. He died for our sin. He rose again. He is in heaven, king of kings, lord of lords. We have the evidence. Also, this attitude, uh, the Lord has forsaken me, my Lord has forgotten me very often, if not always, certainly very often, is quite simply unbelief. Not taking to heart what God has said. And if he doesn't do what he said immediately, we feel he's not going to do it at all. If we've experience of small children, we'll recognize that. But you said, yes, I'm going to. Do we really want to treat our Lord and Savior as if we were just small children being difficult? Are we mistrusting the faithful one? We remember the man who came to Jesus saying, if you can do anything, help us. And he says, if I can, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. In other words, everything's possible with God. If you trust him, he will help you. I think a lot of us can identify with that man when he said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So, something about God himself. We're not alone in saying why. Jesus said why when he was on the cross. Even though he knew. One thing to know it intellectually. Another thing to feel it in our heart. Jesus knew it, but he felt something different. Why? Maybe we're the same at times. God has reasons we probably don't understand. Maybe he's things to teach us that he can only teach us with experiences that confuse us. Sometimes he likes to show his care and his saving power by letting us hit the deck and then he picks us up again 
in ways we could never have predicted. Israel found themselves stuck at the Red Sea, cliffs on either side, the Egyptian army behind. There's no way out of this. Oh, what a wonderful God and Savior they had. You see? And when we experience that Red Sea situation, the next time it comes, well, remember that. The Lord rescues out of that. He'll do it again. How wonderful. Sometimes, too, this sort of feeling is quite simply the result of human weakness. Dare anyone criticize a person for that? There was Elijah, one of the most remarkable victories any of God's people achieved, turning a whole nation back to God, Mount Carmel. What happens the next day? He gets a message from Queen Jezebel. By this time tomorrow, you're dead. And he panics. And he flees. And when the Lord eventually meets him, he says, Lord, I'm not any better than my father's. And it's, it's better that I wouldn't even live any longer, please. And you say to yourself, why on earth? Would one of the greatest spiritual warriors the world has ever seen, having won one of the greatest victories the world has ever seen, why would he do this? Because he's human. And what does God do? Does he give him a ticking off? Quite the opposite. He gives him some food, and he gives him some sleep, and he gives him friends. And he gives them work to do. You see how tender the Lord is? And that's what we have in this text. No matter how unreasonable it might be to say, the Lord's forsaken me, my Lord has forgotten me. No matter how unreasonable, he deals tenderly with us. And he's saying to us, I will not forget you. Think then about this comfort that he's giving. Briefly, five things from this chapter, or related to the chapter. The first is God is going to act. I will not. He's speaking here. He's responding. God won't allow himself to be miscalled, even and especially by his own people, He has a reputation to keep, and he's going to clear his name. If we care for one another and for the cause of Christ, surely he cares far more. Will he not keep faith with his people? Of course he will. Second thing. He has his eye on his people all the time. Verse 16, your walls are continually before me. I have graven you in the palms of my hands. If it's in the palms of our hand, we can't miss seeing it. Especially if it's been scratched there. Whatever we pick up, we feel it. Probably this wasn't intended, but it is literally true. The marks of the nails are in the hands of our Lord Jesus in glory. Upon the throne of heaven, 
He is conscious of his people all the time. Whether it's the walls of Zion, the, 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 the church of Christ corporately, whether it's the individual, your name, your own name, they are written in my hands. His very identity is Savior. That's why he's in heaven's throne, to relate to them, to renew their spiritual life, to rescue, to protect, to bring them home to himself. He who keeps Israel, he slumbers not nor sleeps. A third comfort is this. His love is beyond comparison. He starts by comparing it, and then he stops. It's as if he's saying, is it reasonable for you, you who are looking to me, is it reasonable for you to doubt me? He takes the most caring person in the whole wide world. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? And then he admits, well, 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 yes, now and again it does happen. But I mean, it's, this is just the most ridiculous thing in the world, isn't it? I will not forget. I, will, I am not like that. Poor souls who become like that, in, in, in one way you would, you would pity, <clears throat> pity them as much as you pity the child. And what do they become? And God is saying, I'm not like that. We can trust our God and our Savior completely, even when others we depended on fail us. Another thing, he gives promises. We see that in the chapter here, and there are so many more in Scripture. Verse 17, your builders make haste. Here's a city ravaged by war. Your destroyers and those who laid you waste go out from you. The enemy is going out one door. Those who are going to build you up are coming in the other. And that is true for everyone looking to the Lord. There were things that laid us low. Maybe our own unbelief. Maybe addictions. Maybe poor choices. Maybe ignorance. Whatever it is, he's saying these things will go. The things that destroyed you. I'm replacing it with my own spirit. My very own spirit. We say sometimes if, Lord, you tell me to act in such a way to love my enemies. <clears throat> if only I had the spirit of Jesus, I would do that, but not otherwise. Ah, do we not, though? Ask and you will receive. What a promise. Your builders make haste. Your destroyers those who laid you waste go out from you. What other promises we have in the scripture? His presence, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Enemies, and some have. Chapter 54, no weapon that's fashioned against you shall succeed. You shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. 
distress, the Lord will bless his people with peace. If not immediately, he will. Our sin, sin shall not have dominion over you. If not immediately, that will come. Growth in the Christian life, 2 Peter 1, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And God will keep his word. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 18. People coming, joining themselves to the people of God. Sometimes we think it'll never happen. And then we get surprises. We hear of churches, some of us are in churches where people appear out of the blue. Or people we knew, and they were the very last people we ever imagined would come. And they are coming and seeking the Lord. He promised it. Doesn't mean it's going to happen every day. But it will happen, because he said it. See what God has done. We read here about the Church of Christ saying, I was left alone. And in some places, that's what God's people feel like. And then they start coming, they're gathering. I, I don't know them. They've never been here before. Where have they come from? I don't understand this. This is the doing of the Lord, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Are we seeing it? That's not the question to ask. The question to ask is, has he promised it? And yes, he has. But above all, the greatest comfort surely is this. God is faithful. That's what he's like. And he cannot be any different. He's faithful to himself. He's faithful to his word. He's faithful to his Christ. He's faithful to his people. He cannot deny himself. And when we read and remember a text like this, I will not forget you. Remember, he is faithful. We look at things from our own perspective. What other perspective could we look at things from? And we might be disappointed, we might be anxious. God looks at things from his perspective. Well, of course he does. And what does he see? He sees his own plans that he is bringing to fruition. Plans for me, yes. Plans for the church, yes. But first and foremost, plans for his own beloved son, in whom he says, I am well pleased. God will not deprive the Lord Jesus of the people he has redeemed by his shed blood. Will he? Jesus prayed, John 17, 
Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Well, are you keeping that word, that message of salvation through Jesus Christ? Even if it's only this, Lord, I can't say I've experienced this, that, or the other, but this is my hope, and this is my only hope, that Christ will save me. He is my hope. Well, this is the will of him who sent me, says Jesus, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up at the last day. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, as no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Well, all these things and all this comfort is given specifically to people of God. Somebody says, but wait a minute then, what about me? Because I can't say that I am, not at this stage anyway, not yet. Is there anything here for me? My wife and I had a friend much older than ourselves, Bill Gilveer was his name. He grew up in among the Razor gangs of Glasgow in the 1940s and 50s. Bill Gilveer, as a young guy, went on one occasion to a Glasgow mission hall, the Tent Hall, down in the Salt Market. Uh, because he, he felt he owed them one. They had been so kind to his family. Uh, it was just going there, and that was it, a one-off. But at the end, the speaker went over, spoke to him, and says, um, you know, what do you think of the message? And his immediate reply was, God's up there. I'm down here. He's no interested in me. Okay. So the speaker took his Bible. He said, what's, what's your name, son? He said, Wally Govier. Right, wait, look at this. Wait, wait now. John, John 3, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What you see your name was? Wally. Right, you put your name there. God so loved Wally Govier that he gave his only begotten son, that if Willie Gilveer believes in him, Willie Gilveer will not perish, but Willie Gilveer will have eternal life. That young guy went home a changed man. He saw there was mercy for God in him through Jesus Christ. And our Lord and Savior is knocking at our door, whoever we are, whatever we are. Revelation 3, I'm standing at the door knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. What should we do then if we are like Willie Gilveer and say that's for God's people, not me? Let's do this. Let's repeat to the Lord a prayer we find in Psalm 106. Remember me 
O Lord, when you show favor to your people. We're thinking all these promises are for God's people. Okay, that's fine. Well, let's say to the Lord, remember me, Lord. Remember me too, when you show favor to your people. That love that you love them with, love me with it too. Is he going to answer? A couple of weeks ago, someone told me a story. A man phoned him. It turned out that he knew of this man years before a notorious character. Knew his father well. He was very different. I want to come and see you, Don. Okay, that's fine. So the man appeared at his house and started chatting. And my friend Donald said to him, Hey, something, something's happened, Kenny, hasn't it? You're not what you used to be. No, he says, I'm not. How did it happen? Well, he said, I was milking the cows at four in the morning one day. And I suddenly remembered something that our old minister had said years and years, decades ago. He told a story of a, a girl in the Highlands who had used two prayers. Lord, show me myself. And, and just there and then, I, I said, I said, Lord, show me myself. Do you know he did? And it was terrible. But I remember the other prayer. Lord, show me yourself. So I prayed that too. And he did. And it was wonderful. You see, whoever we are, whatever we are, take this prayer to the Lord and he'll do it. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor you show to your own people. The old, the old, um, the old Scottish Psalter puts it, remember me, Lord, with that love you bear to your own. Why should we not say that? And then we take this promise from a faithful God to ourselves, yet Whatever else, yet I will not forget you. May the Lord then bless his word to us and let us pray.